Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. As you know, we've been following events in Iran and Afghanistan in relation to women's rights over the last couple of years. And we decided to ask a woman from each country, women now living in Ireland, to talk to us about the devastating situations in the countries that they've left behind. The courageous shows of defiance against the misogynistic Islamic Republic in Iran have provided some hope, as one of our contributors explained. People were gathering around a fire and they were dancing and they were burning their scarves. And for me, it was like watching a dream coming true. I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I was watching it in tears and I couldn't believe that I'm watching something, a video from inside Iran, that these young people are dancing and burning their scarves. I have the experience of living in Iran and I know how much courage it takes to do such acts. That was Maya Ostavar there and she joined us on the podcast today from Galway with Mahbuba Fayez from Afghanistan and we'll hear more from them later. I'm pretty much ignoring the World Cup in Qatar for obvious reasons, but I have to say there was a good news story from there, uh, strangely enough, in that France's Stephanie Frappard will become the first woman to referee a match at the Men's World Cup after being selected to take charge of the game between Germany and Costa Rica today. The 38-year-old will lead an all-female on-field team for the Group E match at Albayat Stadium with Brazil's Nueza Beck and Mexican Karen Diaz Medina chosen as her assistant. So I think that's one up to the Qatari people who don't really like women very much and, and think women should only go places when they have male guardians. I love the idea of an all-female referee team on the field. Stephanie Frappard has already made history at the tournament, having become the first female official for a men's World Cup match when she was fourth official for the goalless draw between Mexico and Poland last Tuesday. FIFA named three female referees on its list of 36 for the competition, with three women among the 69 assistant referees. Um, this is not Frappard's first time for breaking new ground. She's a pretty much a groundbreaker, a trailblazer. She became the first woman to referee a men's Champions League game in 2020 when she took charge of Juventus against Dynamo Kiev and she's also overseen games in League One, the Europa League, the Men's World Cup qualifying and the 2019 UEFA Super Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool. It's been really widely supported. The managers are all into it. Costa Rica's manager Luis Fernando Suarez said, I'm a great admirer of everything women have conquered and I like that they want to keep conquering things and this is another step forward, especially in this sport, which is a very sexist one. I like it. I think it's a situation that's good for football. Um, it's all a far cry from how women used to be treated by those in the sports hierarchy. As recently as 2004, the disgraced former FIFA president, Sepp Blatter, that horrible man, 
said female footballers should wear skimpier outfits to popularise the game. Let the women play in more feminine clothes like they do in volleyball. They could, for example, have tighter shorts. Well, forget him. Stephanie Frappard is going in there as a referee today. And I think that's amazing and something to celebrate, even though the Qatari World Cup is a pretty awful affair. Now, in today's episode, we are returning to those incredible protests in Iran, where under the slogan, Women, Life, Freedom, women and girls and men's and boys have been fighting back against the authoritarian, women-hating Islamic regime that is restricting their lives so intolerably and where women are so brave, walking without their hijabs and expressing their disgust at the regime. And in Afghanistan, the situation there remains very bleak, with the Taliban essentially putting women under house arrest, restricting their access to schools, banning them from parks, enforcing strict rules around the burqa. And the situations in both countries are different, but in some ways it's the similar fight for, uh, against a similar regime Um, Arguably, the Afghan women are existing under an even stricter, more dangerous regime. But there is solidarity there. And the movement in Iran is having ripples all over the world. As somebody said, courage is contagious. And the Iranian protests are keeping the spotlight on countries like Afghanistan and the struggles of women and girls there. So we are really glad today to be joined by a woman from each of those countries. Maya Ostevor is a lecturer in business information systems at the University of Galway. During her PhD studies in France, her research focused on campaigns against mandatory hijab in Iran, such as My Stealthy Freedom and White Wednesdays. She was also active in the Let Us Talk campaign, which demands the Western feminists and progressives to not silence the criticism of Islam, especially by Middle Eastern women, and the hashtag No to Hijab campaign, which called on Iranian women not to wear the headscarf in public. Her primary focus in all these activities has been the equality of women and their rights over their bodies. Mahbuba Fayez is now living in Tallow, County Waterford. She and her husband and son arrived in Ireland in September 2021. They initially lived in Mosny, but later found a house and community to live in, thanks to a group of activist women. Born in Kabul, she fled to Pakistan to escape Taliban rule and moved back after the US-led invasion and began working with women's empowerment groups in the capital. When Kabul fell last year, she had been preparing to defend her dissertation for her master's in international law. The women spoke to me about the unjust situation in their countries, about the protests and about why more needs to be done by the international communities in protesting the regimes in both countries and that erosion of human rights. I began by asking Maya about the solidarity to be found between women in both countries. It's the same fight that we are fighting to some extent. Uh, As you said, I mean, I don't want to compare, but for example, when uh, Taliban took over Afghanistan again, for me, it was heartbreaking. Uh, Because of course, I mean, it's not the same experience. I can't say that I can imagine what Afghan women uh, are going through or they went through with uh, Afghanistan took over again. Uh, But I think we had kind of similar, we have kind of similar experience with Afghan women. And of course, we share so much culture, we have, we have the same language, that uh, this solidarity exists. Um, and uh, right now, I think it is, it is very strong. For me, it was so heartwarming that Afghan women, although they have uh, their own fight, their own struggles right now, they were the first ones that were on the street after what happened to Mahsa Amini and after Iranian women basically were on the street. So that shows exactly that solidarity, that 
uh, they were among the first ones to support us. Um, and this exactly shows that we are fighting the same fight and we are fighting it together and we are fighting it for the whole world because the values that uh, Iranian women and Afghan women are fighting for are universal values. The slogan that we have, woman, life, freedom, these are values that are feminist progressive values and they are, of course, universal. So we are fighting the same fight and we are fighting it for the whole world, basically. That's so well said. And Mahbuba, would you agree with that? Yes, I agree. But, uh, you know, Iran and Afghanistan, the women, they are facing the same problems. But uh, I would like to say that uh, the cultural uh, religious system in Iran and Afghanistan is quite different because the cultural religious system in Afghanistan is much worse than Iran. Because, you know, at least uh, women in, in Iran, they have access to education. They have, like, you know, uh, much more freedom than women in Afghanistan. But unfortunately, as we see that women in Afghanistan are, are deprived of their most basic rights, which is uh, uh, access to education, you know. In Afghanistan, unfortunately, we see that the situation of women is, is much worse than Iran. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely. I think that's what Maya was getting at and didn't want to compare the two. But Maya, you were nodding all the way through that. So I might just bring you back in for a moment before we go back to the individual stories. But you obviously see, and, and I know you do, there's very, very big differences too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I completely agree with Mahbuba. Um, I think the situation of women in Afghanistan is much worse, unfortunately. I mean, both of them compared to Europe, they're awful, they're horrible. Uh, but of course, I mean, in Afghanistan, uh, we see that the rights that Iranians, Iranian women uh, might have um, in Afghanistan, that's that's far from having it. So I completely agree. And um, I mean, I hope for Afghanistan to become a place for equal rights, but unfortunately, it's not uh, right now. And as I said, I'm not comparing Iran and Afghanistan, uh, although I think they are coming from the same ideology there. It's it's a kind of Islamism that exists in both countries. In one of them, more extreme, like in Afghanistan, is more much more extreme. But still, it's the same ideology and it's the fight for, for the same values. But I completely agree with Mahbuba that unfortunately... Uh, we cannot compare. I mean, I can't say that I had the similar experience of Afghan women uh, because I didn't have it. Uh, I mean, I had much more probably opportunity. I had a better life probably in Iran than I could have in Afghanistan. Mahuba, did you want to say something else there? Well, you know, it makes me so sad because uh, women in Afghanistan are, you know, fighting for the rights that uh, in other parts of the world like uh, women take it for granted. But unfortunately, in Afghanistan, as uh, you may know that uh, currently 14 millions of uh, women and girls are, are you know, uh, deprived of working and going to pursue their, their education. And, you know, more than 1 million uh, young girls, they cannot go, go to get a higher education, you know. And it's very sad, you know, that um, that uh, currently uh, women uh, don't hold, you know, any 
position in the de facto administration. You know, before the collapse of uh, Kabul, we had Ministry of Women Affairs, uh, which was uh, working for women rights. Uh, we had, uh, for the first time in the history, we we, we had independent human rights commission in Kabul and and other parts of uh, the country, I mean, in the provinces, we had, you know, independent human rights commission, which which was, you know, supporting the, the rights of women and supporting the, the women who were, you know, the victims of uh, um, domestic violence. But unfortunately, the, these days we see that um, women are fully, you know, moving back. They are not even allowed to to travel with, with a, you know, without a uh, main chaperone. So there are lots of restrictions, you know, on uh, women, women movements, and that's all all very sad, you know. So I just I just cannot, you know, keep myself away of of these news. I have to follow all the news, you know. Unfortunately, there is no good news. It's still not a clear, you know, future for for women in Afghanistan. And um, they are still deprived of their most basic rights. Well, let's go. You're speaking there. So let's go a little bit about your story, because you lived in Kabul until the age of nine. And then you left to go to Pakistan, where you managed to get an education there because you, you were able to. And you came back in your teenage years to to Kabul. So take up the story then, because you're now in Ireland, in um, Waterford. So tell us about how you got to come to Ireland, I suppose. What happened after you came back to Kabul? We we returned back to our country, you know, because, uh, well, we had, uh, we were hopeful for, for the future of our country, you know. 2001, when, uh, when uh, the Americans somehow defeated Afghanistan, we hoped that, uh, that um, we will have, like, a bright future in our own country, you know. We can work for our own country. We can build our own country. I started, you know, uh, going um, to university. I, I returned to university uh, to do my bachelor. I, I did my bachelor in criminal law. And then uh, when my son was at the age of three, I, um, I returned to university to get my master's. And um, I completed my master's in international law. I was writing my thesis, my dissertation. I was supposed to uh, defend it. That, you know, unfortunately, the country collapsed. And, um, and all the, you know, universities closed their doors. And unfortunately, uh, I couldn't do that. And that's when the Taliban came in 2021 and things got very bad in Afghanistan after the hope that you described. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, you know, my husband uh, was uh, working for around human rights issues. He was a human rights defender. So we feared our life. Uh, we thought that if we had stayed there, they would have arrested my husband, you know, and they would have killed him. So... Since he was uh, he was working with some uh, uh, well he was collaborating with some uh, human rights uh, organizations based in Dublin and when the country uh, fell my husband contacted uh, some of his Irish uh, colleagues in Dublin and they uh, communicated uh, with the Irish government. Fortunately, we were granted uh, uh, an online visa and finally we. 
we fled the country and it took us uh, about 15 days because of the chaos, because of the overcrowd of people at the airport. So eventually we we ended up here in Ireland. Well, thank you very much. I mean, it's a, a, a great story and we're so glad that you got some refuge here away from, from Kabul. And I'm just going to bring Maya in now to tell about how you ended up in the University of Galway. Again, very different stories, but let us know how you managed to be here and then we can maybe talk about the, the situations in both of your countries at the moment. Yeah, well, I was born and I mean, I've lived, I've lived in Iran for 25 years, for the first 25 years of my life. Um, I did my, my, my education uh, and my undergrad degree um, in Iran and then basically... I knew that I wanted to leave the country. And one of the easiest ways uh, for Iranians is to study abroad, basically, to get um, to get a visa for, for study. Uh, so I did my master's degrees uh, in Belgium, Brussels. And then, uh, basically, I applied for a PhD program um, in France. Um, I've lived in France for... 10 years for nine years almost uh so i'm french iranian now and um uh, i mean i i worked in france uh as an assistant professor um for three years uh, and afterwards um i was looking for for new jobs basically in other countries uh, and i found a job in university of galway in ireland and that's basically how I moved here. Um, my story is, of course, very different from uh, Mahbuba, but I'm, I mean, I haven't been back to Iran for five years now because uh, because of the dangers that it can have uh, to go back to Iran. First of all, because my research uh, was on something that is considered political, uh, because I focused on um, basically the movement against the compulsory hijab. Um, in Iran uh, before uh, the current movement, of course, the campaigns like My Cells of Freedom, White Wednesdays, and Girls of the Envelope Street, which are to some extent history of the current movement of a woman life freedom. And because of that, um, I decided not to go back to Iran. And of course, after um, I got the French citizenship, it was even more difficult and more dangerous because uh, as you and your audience and you might be aware, like the Iranian regime, uh, the Islamic Republic has this um, tendency to arrest uh, dual citizens, especially to uh, kind of use them as bargaining chip, bargaining chip uh, for negotiation with, uh, with Western countries. Uh, so I haven't been back to Iran since 2017. I hope that... <laughs> This time, uh, after the revolution, I can uh, can go back again. Uh, for example, I haven't seen my father for five years. Uh, my mom has been here for a few times. But yeah, that's basically uh, my story. So, you know, the, this latest movement was around um, the death of Masa Amini and the hijab and the morality police arresting so many people and the protests. We've watched this movement and particularly um, it, recently with the World Cup, it's been interesting to see the Iranian men's team um, not singing the anthem, for example, as a protest. What are your thoughts on that and where the situation is now? 
I mean, of course, uh, this movement uh, got so many attention from from the whole world, and it's I'm happy for that. But um, I mean, as I said, the whole story around the compulsory hijab, around the morality, so-called morality police, but I mean, I would prefer to call it hijab police because that's really what it is. Uh, it's not something new. I mean, this the the thing that what happened after the death or murder of Massa. Uh, why it happened? Why it got so many attention from Iranian women and so many people identified with the stories? That I mean, any of us who have lived in Iran for some years um, could could identify with the story and could could see themselves as Mahsa. This is something that could happen to any of us. It's not, of course, something new, but it took uh, so many years. It took. Uh, Mahsa to be killed for the world to see it, to see how horrible it is, how heartbreaking it is. Uh, because these are, this is not something new. This is something that we should remember that this is not new. This has happened before. I mean, I remember since, I mean, the one scene that I remember very clearly from 15 years ago when I was 20 years old um, is that I was walking on the street and, of course, morality police is present always on the street uh, and there was this woman uh, that they were trying to arrest for not covering her hair uh, appropriately properly not even not having her job but not covering it properly and she was fighting back she was trying uh, not to let them um, arrest her uh, so she was fighting back and they were beating her and they were trying to push her into the police van. And I remember clearly that I heard her head um, hitting uh, the door of the car. So what happened to Mahsa could very well happen to her. It's not uh, Mahsa. I mean, it was not an exception. But uh, her death become something, became a symbol for us, uh, for this movement. And it took a young woman life for us to understand how horrible the situation is and that we need to basically fight back. Because, I mean, I, I said that I remember this scene that this woman was being arrested and I remember myself, I remember others standing there watching and not doing anything. And I still feel how horrible it is that, I mean, all these years we have seen these scenes on, on our street and we didn't do anything about it. And the whole world probably, I don't know if they knew it or not, uh, if they have seen this scenes, these videos or not, this footage of this, uh, what's happening to Iranian women and they they didn't do anything and they thought, okay, it's their culture. It's basically, it's what it is. I mean, Western politicians, all these years, they have gone to Iran, they have covered their hair, they obeyed the hijab law, while Iranian women were resisting it, um, so this is this is really heartbreaking, and of course, uh, this movement is very inspiring because it has started with uh, with women's rights, with such progressive values as I said, and now we are seeing. Um, I mean, I remember one of the videos that I have seen in the early days of this revolution. I mean, I call it a revolution because I believe it's a revolution. Um, that it was from north of Iran, sorry, a young group of uh, people 
were gathering around the fire and they were dancing and they were burning their scarves. And for me, it was like watching a dream coming true. I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I was watching it in tears and I couldn't believe that I'm watching something, a video from inside Iran that these young people are dancing and burning their scarves. Uh, because, I mean, some of the acts of protest that we are seeing in Iran right now, I have the experience of living in Iran and I know how much courage it takes to do such acts and how unbelievable, unbelievable it is that these are, these are collective acts that we are seeing right now from inside Iran. Um, so these are the acts that I have, I mean, I and I, I believe many others like me, they have uh, dreamt of doing it, but they have never dared to do it. Um, so yeah, and right now in the World Cup, I mean, the funny, you, you mentioned the World Cup. Uh, the thing is that uh, I know that many people outside Iran feel what uh, the Iranian team did for not basically singing the anthem uh, was something courageous for an act of protest. I mean, it has the it had the bare minimum of, of act of protest, of course. Uh, but for many Iranians, it wasn't like that. They were angry with the team. They were feeling this is not our national team. This is uh, the Islamic Republic's team. They wouldn't. They didn't identify with the team at all. And uh, I mean, that's sad. But that's that's the truth because they didn't feel any support or solidarity from the from the players. You said, I think, that it was too little too late, that this was just a very weak protest because it came too late and they haven't been getting involved up to now. Exactly. And it was it was too little. I mean, at the same time that they were playing, people were getting killed, literally getting killed. There were videos coming from inside Iran, from Kurdish cities, from Sistan, Baluchistan, that people were getting killed with bullets, with real bullets. They were getting killed and they were playing and they were celebrating when they were scoring. So that's something that, I mean, this is not a national team. This is not, I mean, Iranian people couldn't care less about the World Cup because what, what they're going through is they're fighting against real bullets on the street. Um, so, yeah, and the funny thing is that when they lost um, two days ago uh, in front of the U.S., um, people were on the streets celebrating the victory of the U.S., and uh, I mean, all over the country, in different cities, especially in Kurdish cities that were that, that are the most repressed uh, cities. I mean, always and right now. Um, so they were celebrating uh, the victory of the U.S. Uh, and again, the sad thing is that while they were celebrating, there were this, there was this story of a young man um, from Anzali. Uh, who was in his car um, celebrating, and he got killed just for for beeping um, inside his car. So this is the reality of life in Iran right now, and that's why people don't care about the World Cup. <laughs> I th- thank you, and very well said. Can I ask you about? the letter from the Iranian ambassador to Irish politicians. I'm sure you've seen it. I just want to let people know in case they don't know what he said. And I'm sure you'll have something to say about it. Um, the letter sent, as I said, by the Iranian ambassador, said that the 
dark image of women's lives in Iran is far from the truth. It said the hijab is not strictly enforced in Iran, that the social norms of Muslim society have been stretched to allow for a variety of fashionable styles in recent years. And there's only a minority who are not happy with the requirement to wear a hijab. And that that minority is not entitled to break the law, disrespecting a religious requirement and resorting to violence to change the situation. So this was very clearly propaganda designed to try and tell a different story about Iran, but you would clearly not agree that that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect less from (laughs) the Iranian government, to be honest, especially at this stage. Um, The sad thing for me is that for so many years, they were successful in selling this narrative to the West. Uh, I mean, I've heard it a lot from even my friends in Western countries that, okay, hijab is culture and... In Iran, uh, people wear all these kind of fashionable dresses. It's not uh, even hijab anymore or something like that. Yeah, that's resistance of women. I mean, despite all those kind of oppression, despite police in country beating up and arresting women for not respecting hijab, they're resisting it. That's that's not women. And they are paying a high price for it. but that's not the truth. What kind of culture it is? I mean, if I mean, even the am, am, ambassador is telling that, that okay, uh, but a woman just got killed 10 weeks ago because of not covering her hair probably, properly. If a culture basically kills, women kills uh, citizens, it's not a culture to respect, even if it's a culture. I don't believe this is Iranian culture or Afghan culture, uh, but that's not something to respect. And that's 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 a lie, because if people didn't have problem with hijab, they wouldn't be on the street. You wouldn't need a police in the country on literally, I mean, all over the country in, in different uh, streets to make people to obey that law. If that was culture, that was something that I would expect, then we wouldn't need a hijab police for it. Yeah. Well, speaking of lies, I want to bring you in, Mahuba. I was looking at a very interesting interview with a member of the a minister in the Taliban government, and he was being asked about um, the restrictions on women and why they why the Taliban were enforcing them. And he, he very much said that... Um, Women in Afghanistan are very happy with the rules. They're compliant, that it's not the same as other countries. He was spinning these lines that, again, I'm sure you would disagree with. But this is the narrative, as as Maya said, that is put out there, which is not true. Well, I don't think so. If there is a woman, you know, who, who is happy with the compulsory, you know, uh, restrictions. I mean, you know, women in Afghanistan are considered and have been considered throughout the history the property of the men, you know? And all men believe that, that uh, women are, are made that should, should stay at home. They should not, you know, appear in uh, political and social uh, participations. They all believe that uh, there is no need for, for women, you know, to, to, to get education. And um, yeah, yeah, the the problem is that that uh, it has changed into a norm, you know. Uh, so many of Afghan men, unfortunately, they they somehow you know support the Taliban's ideology. 
that that women women are are only for indoors you know and uh, like the society does does not allow them to appear in public life you know unfortunately yeah it is so sad but i don't believe that 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 women really uh, support this ideology that uh, the taliban are are right and they are doing the right thing no and recently women have been banned from public parks they're not allowed in swimming pools they're not allowed in gyms i was looking at a, an interview again with a young girl um, she says, it's like we're just sitting and waiting for the next restrictions. I was lucky I finished secondary school before the Taliban came, but I'm scared now that the universities might also be closed for women. My dreams will be over. She recently took the university entrance exam and then she was disappointed to find out that the subject she wanted to study, journalism, was no longer available for women because they're also now restricting what women can study in university. And she said, I can't describe how hard it is. Sometimes you feel like screaming loudly. I feel hopeless that sort of describes the feeling doesn't it uh, that's so true Roshan yeah and uh, unfortunately you know uh, it's so sad when uh, when uh, women are protesting um, for for their rights women are are arrested they are uh, beaten you know they are they are repressed repressed you know it's really so sad and it's funny you know under under a new decree or whatever you call it they have the taliban have put a notice on the door of a maternity hospital in in herat province and and they have you know forbidden the sonography for for women they they have said that women are not allowed to undergo uh, sonography so so it is funny and this, at the same time so sad you know <laughs> it's really sad yeah say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100 percent online you'll experience the all-new cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Can I ask you both about the international community? Because we've spoken about how... For both of your countries, the, the awareness has risen um, with Masa Hamini has done this incredible thing. Like you said, these are universal values that that people in many, many countries around the world are feeling very strongly in solidarity with, with um, women in both of your countries. But do you feel, um, Maya, that the international community are doing enough? Like there's a discussion 
here about whether we should ha- open the the ambassador um the embassy in in Tehran and you know and what is there enough restrictions on the countries what should the international community be doing if they really believe that what's going on in Iran and Afghanistan is wrong uh, well i mean for me the sad thing is that it took it so long as i said uh, for the world for the free world to understand what's going on in Iran and that then this is not our culture, that the narrative that the Islamic Republic is basically um, selling to the world is not true. But at the same time, right now, and I, I think that many Iranians agree with me uh, from what I've seen, is that it's one of the first times that we feel seen and, hear, and heard uh, by the international community. So that the support that we have seen from the international community is so heartwarming. Um, it helps, first of all, Iranian people on the ground to feel, okay, we are seen, we are heard, and uh, people are supporting us. What we are fighting for is something important for the world, and we are not alone in it, in this fight. Uh, so first of all, that's that's really important, because what people need on the ground is, first of all, hope. But I believe that the international community, the Western governments, different institutions that we have in the free world, they can do much more than this, of course. Uh, Because Iranians, at the end of the day, right now, they are alone on the street, empty-handed, and they are facing harsh violence from the the Islamic Republic. Um, So... I mean, at the end of the day, what we need from the Western countries is to understand that the Iranians made it very clear that they don't recognize the regime as their legitimate regime anymore. So neither should the international community, neither should the Western governments. So what I want from the Western governments is to not recognize the Islamic Republic and recognize Iranian people, recognize their choice, recognize their revolution. This is basically what happened uh, with France as the first uh, Western country that still has diplomatic relations uh, with Iran to recognize to for the President Macron to meet four Iranian activists, four women, few weeks ago, and recognize the Iranian the Iran, the Iran revolution. And the UN also is uh, basically supporting women, uh, supporting Iranian uh, Iranians and the revolution. So at the end, what we want is basically for the world to not recognize the regime, to stop the relationship basically uh, with the regime and to put targeted sanctions more than before on the Iranian authorities, their families outside country. They have, I mean, their family members live in different countries. They have even citizenship, but they know how to deal with that. But basically what happened to to some extent to Russia uh, after after their attack uh, to Ukraine should happen, I think, uh, to the Islamic Republic. Maya, what would you say to our Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, who's thinking of whether about whether to put the embassy into Tehran again? What do you think about that? I mean, if you're saying to break all ties with the Islamic Republic, presumably you don't want that to happen then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's that shouldn't happen. That uh, I mean, we are asking the other countries to close their embassies and to, ta- to, to stop relationship with the Islamic Republic. Of course, we don't want the Ireland to open the embassy inside Iran. Uh, and especially in this time that, I mean, what's happening inside Iran is unbelievable. If you are supporting the people, uh, you should at least wait for, 
for now to see what's going on. I mean, this is not the time to to open an embassy inside Iran because, I mean, there are petitions going around asking G7, asking different countries to close their embassies, to kick out Iranian diplomats uh, out of the country. So this shouldn't happen right now. Okay. Um, Mahuba, I want to come to you about um, the international community. How do you feel? Your your partner works in human rights as well. So what is your feeling about how much or how to how little is being done to help Afghanistan? Well, Roshan, to be fair, we want the international community, not only the international community, but every civilized citizen of the world, you know, we want them. We expect them to be a voice for Afghan women, not to forget Afghan women, they really need, you know, their support. In following the um, following the uh, Taliban fall in 2001, and uh, under the uh, Bonn Agreement, uh, a constitution was established that uh, that constitution, you know, uh, respected all um, um, rights of, you know, minorities and women. For the first time, uh, we. Uh, we were able, you know, to participate in, in election, to select our representative. For the first time, women um, got their, their freedom. But unfortunately, that period uh, didn't uh, last long, and and, and um, all the hopes, all, all the dreams of, of women, Afghan women, you know, just um, abolished. Tell me about your lives just before you go in Ireland, because it's interesting, Maya, your work studies the impact of social media on societal movements, which is so relevant to what's going on in Iran and how, how the hashtags Women Life Freedom and all the other ones have really helped to uh, spread the message of what's going on. So what are you doing at the moment in, in your studies? I mean, uh, first of all, I was still working on the uh, on the previous project on the movements against the controversy hijab. But for even for me, because I've been following this movement for seven, eight years now, it was shocking what happened like ten weeks ago. I didn't expect that to happen. Uh, but yeah, in terms of social media, I think um, this is. I mean, this is of course one of the rare channels that Iranians and other people uh, that are living in context uh, like Iran uh, have to spread the world to uh, to basically spread the real news uh, from inside the country. Uh, and that's where I think one thing that I want to say to, to your audience probably and one thing that the international community, the normal citizens, can do is to use this channel and echo the voice of Iranians, the voice of Afghan people, because that's that's what we need. For example, we need right now to keep the spotlight on Iran, because one of the th- one of the things that uh, prevent the Islamic uh, Republic from uh, even harsher repression uh, on the country is that they feel they are under spotlight from the international community. Uh, so we still, this is the time that we need it even more than before. Uh, so echo the voice of people, uh, show your support, because 
that's heartwarming for the people and that's what you can do on social media and they would see it on social media so you can't believe that for example the videos uh, from different celebrities that were cutting their hair um, it got so much uh, attention from Iranians inside the country uh, and I mean one part is social media the other part I would say you have the freedom to take this to take to the street to for example my friend Masih Halinejad um, has this idea and always says it that uh, women's march it's it could be there could be a women march for Iranian women and Afghan women, because these are the these are the women that need support from the international community. As I said, these values are universal. If we are feminists, we are fighting for all women all around the world. It's not only about Western women or some some part of the some part of the world. So apart from social media, you can take the street. You can ask your politicians, your representatives your government uh, to support Iranians. Uh, and you can do that, for example, by uh, by showing numbers on the street that we are here, we are supporting the people from Iran, from Afghanistan. That's why we're so glad that you come on the Women's Podcast to talk about this, Maya, because we very much feel that your struggle and the things that you're fighting for are the things that, you know, we've had our own struggles in feminist terms in Ireland, but we, we do feel that solidarity and I hope that by, you know, bringing your stories to our audience that people can feel more um, in tune with you and to understand that there it's a universal struggle. Like you said, it's it's women's rights and it doesn't matter whether they're in Iran or Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia or wherever else. We're all women and we should all be supporting each other. And indeed, there's lots of men who are also supporting these causes, too. Um, Mahupa, just for, from your point of view, you're in Ireland with your son and your partner. Um, you're living a life that's free, a life that you could not live if you were in Kabul. And that's heartbreaking to be away from that. But also there must be something uh, you must be so relieved at the life you have now as well. So there's a mixed thing there. Uh, well, uh, yes, um, I, my husband, I and uh, I and uh, our child, we live um, here in Ireland. And we are so, so grateful, so thankful to Irish government to Irish people, we are so thankful to to their generosity and their kindness. They have been so kind to us so far. Well, um, there are there are cultural differences uh, between Afghanistan and and uh, uh, Ireland. Well, uh, I'm so delighted to you know to have uh, much more freedom, freedom of choice here. You know. I'm so happy and I'm enjoying my life here in in Ireland. But at the same time, I'm sad, you know, for women of my country that unfortunately they they are deprived of everything, everything, you know. I'm so sad about them. I wish I could do something for for them, you know. Just what I, I want, you know, the international communities, you know, they should... Since Taliban are extremists, they they are, you know, hardliners, they are known as terrorists, so the international community should not recognize them, you know. They should impose much more sanctions on them, and and they they should stop, you know, financially, uh, their their financial support to the Taliban. Um, If if they are receiving more support, they are, you know, just... uh, 
getting more power, you know, and they are, they are you know, putting more restrictions uh, on women. So if the international communities, you know, st stop or reduce their support, um, hopefully, hopefully the Taliban, they also recognize that, that they, they don't have, you know, the knowledge, the capability to rule the country. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know if they're going to ever admit that, but it seems like they definitely don't have that knowledge or expertise or the right qualities that you need to lead a country. It's 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 just horrendous. Um, I just wondered, Maya, then, you know, it's very hard to look into the future or to think what is going to happen. But maybe I can ask you about your hopes for what might happen. You did mention about possibly being able to return to Iran sometime. So. What do you feel, and maybe your thoughts on Afghanistan too, if you have any, about what is going to happen, how this movement is going to impact and perhaps change things for the better in both of your countries? I mean, I have lots of hopes. This, are, this is, I mean, because we have seen, this is not the first uprising, this is not the first protest inside Iran, but many Iranians believe that this time is different. And we have seen different protests during this 40 years. So I think we should trust our gut feeling that this time is different. The demands are much more radical. People are much, much more braver. They have passed the point. They are doing stuff that they can't go back on it. For example, right now it is to some extent normal. The people that I don't, I can't believe my aunt who has always been a religious um, she's walking on the street hijabless. So this is something that I wouldn't believe. Uh, so people have passed the point uh, that they can't go back to what was what, what was happening like three months ago, ten weeks ago. Um, so I'm hopeful, and of course, what I want for Iran—it's too general to say—but I wish for a secular, democratic country that all citizens are equal, independent of their gender, their sexual orientation, their religion, and their ethnicity, uh, and. I mean, right now, it's not hard to imagine that because this is a movement with such progressive values, such progressive slogans. And I didn't expect it. But as you said, men are, for example, supporting women. Uh, people from different cities are supporting each other without feeling that, OK, this ethnicity or this city is different from us. So they feel, they believe in this equality to some extent, and they are living it, they're fighting for it. So it's not hard to imagine that these people believe in equality, they believe in freedom, they believe in equal rights for men and women. Uh, so it's easier to imagine a brighter future for Iran. And the thing that I should say here, I believe uh, with Iran as a secular democratic country, that um, respects international law, respects human rights, we will, I mean, the world would be a better place. Of course, the region would be a better place. I think it would, uh, to some extent, it can have, uh, it, can have an, it can have an impact on Afghanistan, on region, because the Islamic Republic right now is supporting uh, Taliban and is supporting terrorism in different countries in the region. And they are doing, uh, I mean, for example, the, the Iranian drones right now are in Ukraine. They are supporting Putin. They're supporting Russia in the war. Uh, so without the Islamic Republic, the whole world would be a better place. And this is the thing that 
I think the international community, the whole world should understand that they are not only supporting Iranian people, they are making um, the world a more peaceful and better place and also the region. And that's so important. And just finally to you, Matt Huba, uh, do you agree with that? Do you have any hope? How do you, when you look at the future of Afghanistan and for women and girls there, are you able to have any hope? Do you think this movement is going to make a difference? Well, as I mentioned before, it is, you know, the moral obligation of the, the um, um, international community to, to support women uh, in Afghanistan, you know. But um, unfortunately, in the near, near future, there is no hope. It looks like, you know, things won't change easily. I hope, you know, these uh, hard days ca- come to an end one day. What I can just do is to hope, to hope for that, you know. But unfortunately, the future of of women in Afghanistan uh, is still unclear. I'm I'm so concerned about the the fate of uh, women in, in Afghanistan. Yeah, and I feel for you so much that that is it's hard to have hope when things are so so terrible in your country, and I. And I understand that. But I suppose the only thing we can do is highlight, like you were saying earlier, about just talking about it and letting people know and getting people engaged. And um, as you were saying, Maya, about people can get out on the streets. This is an issue that people can 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 fight for just because it's not happening in our country doesn't mean it can't be something we're absolutely outraged by. And I hope that you get the sense when you're talking to people in Ireland that people are outraged by what's happening in your country and upset Um, and it's a very small thing but I'm hoping that by talking about it on the women's podcast people listening can really understand the issues and at least that solidarity is there but I totally understand Mahuba that it's very difficult to have hope when things are so so terrible in your your country but I just want to say thank you to both of you for speaking with me Um, we've been trying to cover the issue and and return to it and we'll hopefully we maybe we could come back and talk to you again um, in a couple of months or something and see where things are then. But um, thank you so much for talking to me on the podcast. I mean, thanks a lot, Roshin, for inviting us and for inviting me. Uh, I mean, it's it's really important. I really appreciate what you're doing here because that's exactly what Iranians need. They need their voice to be heard. And I mean, we are here just to do that. I, I think Mahbub as well. We're just here to echo the voice of our people because this is the privilege that we have I mean, I feel like a survivor, to be honest. That's that's why I, I feel this duty on my shoulders that my sisters are in prison and I'm here as a survivor to just talk about their suffering. And my uh, with that survivor comes survivor guilt, I imagine, because you're not there. And it's a huge issue, isn't it, for you emotionally exactly. to feel, why did I get to not have to experience that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel that guilt, but... I mean, this is the this is the least I could do, and I'm trying to do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just saying that what what you're doing is important, and, and thanks for I mean giving us this platform to talk about um, our people's uh, suffering and our people's struggles. Thank um, you. Final words for you. Yes, yes, uh, I, I'm so, so thankful to you. I really appreciate your feeling. You know the feeling that that you are you know trying to highlight. Uh, women's problems in Iran and Afghanistan. 
Uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, thanks very much for your time and thanks for having us. Right. Well, we'll have you back on again. It's been absolutely, I won't say, I can't say a pleasure because it's awful to hear what's going on. But I'm very grateful to you because you're both, as you as you said, Maya, you, you're both... Um, you're advocating for the women that are in your country. You're telling their stories. You're being their voice when they don't have a voice. And that is really important. So again, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you. That was Mabuba Fayaz and Maya Ostavar there. And I can only imagine how heartbreaking it is for them to watch what is going on in their countries. But I hope that shone a bit of a light on something we should all be exercised about. As Maya said, these are universal issues. And if you've any comments you want to make on it, do email us the women's podcast at irishtimes.com or get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. That's it for me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Aideen. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Finnegan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time.